This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. What's happening, family? How are we? Name's Arnaldo. If we haven't met, I am one of the pastors here and um, one of the church planning residents as well. And it is a real honor to be here with you this morning, open up uh, God's Word. Uh, We are in the middle of this series called 90,000 Hours. And maybe this is your first week with us, and so I want to give you some context about what we're doing. And uh, we came up with this, uh, really, we, I mean, I put myself in, I was in the room, someone else's idea. Uh, But we came up with this because we spend upwards of 90,000 hours at work over our lifetime, on average. That doesn't include any of the volunteer work that we do. That doesn't include the, you know, the, uh, uh, the stuff we do at home with kids or the laundry or the washing or the volunteer soccer coach on the weekends. It doesn't include any of that. It doesn't include the travel to and from work. But on average, at work, at paid work, we spend about 90,000 hours. That's upwards of 54% of your waking hours. And so the question for us is, what does it look like to follow Jesus and engage well in our 90,000 hours? And so we're spending six weeks uh, on this. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of, of rest, the work of rest. What does it look like to rest well? So before we do that, um, let me pray and then we'll jump right into it. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us this morning. Uh, we thank you for just enough health and just enough energy to be here. Uh, we ask now, Holy Spirit, together as a family, that you would bless this time, that you would uh, make your presence known and felt to us, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would forget, you would help me forget the things that are not going to be helpful this morning. Help me to remember the things that will be helpful. And we pray for those, Lord, who are just searching, searching for truth or searching for meaning or searching for purpose. And we pray, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes uh, to see your beauty, to see your goodness, to see your truth this morning, we pray. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. Exhaustion, weariness, tiredness. I want to, by a show of hands, who's tired this morning? You're in, good, you're in good company. You know, we live in a place, in a culture that really uh, looks down on that. We, we, we live in a place and a culture that uh, elevates the, the hustle culture, right? The grind. Toil glamour, I heard it was called. Toil glamour, like we were putting this, this veneer of, of shine on this. And it's interesting that millennials, our generation, I am part of the generation. Thank you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just on the cusp. I'm just on the cusp. But millennial generation, check this out, has been dubbed the burnout generation. Millennials have been called the burnout generation. In a financial review piece, or really it was kind of ripping off a BuzzFeed piece, in July 2019, it was, it was titled, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And Anne Helen Peterson, the author of that article in, at BuzzFeed, uh, asked herself this question. Why am I burnt out? Why am I burnt out? Her answer was, because I've internalized the idea that I should be working all the time. Now, why have I internalized this idea? Well, because everyone in my life has reinforced that explicitly and implicitly since I was young. Even the infamous real-life Tony Stark, Elon Musk, said that if you have any hope to change the world, if you want to change the world, you need to work at least 80 to 100 hours a week. If you have any hope 
of making a positive impact in this world. In 2017, the Sleep Health Foundation ran a study, and this was their objective. Can we calculate monetarily, can we calculate what the lack of sleep has cost the Australian economy? And so they've noticed that there's been a deficit in sleep for Australians. And the question was, how much is that actually costing us? Now, I'm going to give you a couple seconds. I'll just think of a number. Don't blurt it out. But I just want you to think of a number. How much money has a deficit of sleep cost the Australian economy? You got it? $66 billion dollars. About 20 billion uh, was because, of, because people were just chucking sickies. So I'm not sure if that's because you're tired. That's just our culture. But about 40 billion dollars were spent, were, were, was, is lost, projected to be lost because of a loss of productivity, sleepiness, drowsiness at work, pain. 66 billion dollars. It's clear that there's a problem. So much so that in May of this year, the World Health Organization added burnout to, to its international classification of diseases just this year. And this is the way that, that uh, WHO speaks of burnout. It says, burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace, stre uh, workplace stress, listen, that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by at least three dimensions. One, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to that job, and, and finally, reduced professional efficacy. This is clear enough that we have a problem. Now, these, all these statistics tell a story. They tell a story mainly of externals. But we know that the, our external lives and our internal lives, our souls, our minds, our, our spirits, we, we are one being. And so everything is integrated. So the question is, how does this show up? And oftentimes it shows up in our anxiety. There, there's this, there's this uh, ambient anxiety in our culture, this sort of white noise of anxiety that we're, that we're just not getting enough done. It shows up in our depression, it shows up in our, in our loneliness, it shows up in the various different addictions that we have, whether it's from pornography to food to technology to, to whatever it is. This shows up in us. But I have good news. This is not the way that God would have his people live. That's good news, that this is not the way for God's people. God's vision for humanity, God's vision for his people is that we would experience deep rest, both in body and in soul and mind. The question is, how do we get there? How, how did we move from that? How, how did we go from not living according to the rhythms of the, of the kingdom of God to living in the rhythms of this abnormal norms of our culture that says if you don't hustle, if you don't grind down to the bone, then you're not living your best life. And I want to add a caveat here because I know there, I don't want to be overly simplistic here. I know there are people here with young children, and I've already felt the sneers and the scoffs like, rest, really, for me? No. I get it. I, I have three young kids. I, I totally get it. I've been at uni. I, I know what a deadline feels 
like. There are parents with children here. There are shift workers, particularly uh, shift workers who work overnight. Maybe your health, maybe chronic pain is preventing you, you feel, or injury, lifelong injuries preventing you from experiencing deep physical and soul rest. With that said, I want us to think creatively. I want us to think creatively about what it looks like for us to be a counterculture, to be different, to not just have a day off. Right? A day off, Eugene Peterson calls a bastard Sabbath. Not, not just a day off. And, and those bastard Sabbaths, we felt those before, where we have a day off and we binge on Stan or Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever it is that you're into. And at the end of, you know, uh, binging Atypical or Rhythm and Flow or whatever it is that you're watching, I wonder, how do you feel? Can you tap into that feeling right now? The utter exhaustion. You kind of feel happy that you finished the story arc of Better Call Saul, but you are so tired. And that's what our culture often offers us. That's, that's our day off. That's our, our bastard Sabbath. But listen, Jesus has something better for us. He has something better for you. That in the midst of chaos that threatens to overtake you, you get to stop. That in a culture that is marked by cynicism, you're invited to delight. That in a culture that would have you worship the self or the body, there's a king a true king that we're invited to worship. And when we are in a culture that has endless distractions for us, we're called to contemplate on the beauty of the king. That's what you can be. That's what we can be. I want you to imagine what kind of people can we be as we engage in our 90,000 hours as restful, as not frenetic, as not on edge all the time. So we have a problem. Great. What do we do about it? And my contention is this. My contention is that we have institutionalized and internalized ways of being in the world, ways of working in the world, ways of engaging our 90,000 hours that go against the grain of the universe. We have institutionalized and internalized ways of being, ways of working, ways of engaging our 90,000 hours that go against the way the world was created. And I'm not sure if it was H.H. Farmer or C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure if they got together at some point. But somebody said this, that when we go against the grain, we get splinters. When we go against the grain, we will get splinters. And our culture is experiencing deep splinters in body, in mind, in soul, in spirit. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? And again, my contention is this, that the answer lies in creatively and for our time to creatively recover this ancient practice of Sabbath. Now, there's so much that I want to say about this, but I have 24 minutes and four seconds left. So there are going to be things that I, I want to say that, that I can't, but I want to say at least a couple things. One is that rest is weaved into the, fab rest is weaved into the fabric of creation. And rest is also weaved into the fabric of redemption. And so this idea of Sabbath, meaning Shabbat, right? It's a, it's a word, it's a Hebrew word that literally means to cease, to rest, to stop. 
but it also means to celebrate. And I want to show us what that looks like as we get into the text. Adele Calhoun, a beautiful writer, she's written this beautiful book on spiritual practices, said this, Sabbath is God's gift of repetitive, repetitive and regular rest. God's gift of re- repetitive and regular rest. It is given for our delight and communion with God. It is a time for being in the midst of a life of doing. It is a, a, a time for being in the midst of a life of doing. So I want to take us on a couple movements. Rest is weaved into the fabric of creation, and it's also weaved into the fabric of redemption. Come with me to Genesis 2. Thus, the word of God says, Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I want us to notice a couple of things. I call it holy noticing. Let's just stop for a moment and notice what is happening in the text. One is this, that in creation, God weaved this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. That it is actually built into the fabric of reality. This isn't an idea. Some, we often think this is some religious idea that we are sort of overlaying on reality. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is that reality is built in a certain way. There is a rhythm to the world. There is a rhythm to the earth. There is a rhythm to ourselves, our psychology, our bodies that is built in. And that rhythm is a rhythm of work and rest, of six days of work and one day of deep rest. I want, to, I want you to notice another thing. It's interesting always when, when you're reading the scriptures, note the first time something is said. The first time something happens. And it's interesting that in this text, in a creation text, the very first thing that is called holy is not a space, but time. See, what you would expect in a text like this that's coming out of the ancient Near Eastern context, which is where the Old Testament comes out of, is that when a God creates what he does... He, he or she does, is he'll place, he or she will place their images in that creation, and then they'll designate a space for holiness, a mountain, or a temple, or, or a va- something. Space is normally called holy, but it's so intriguing to me that the very first time something is called holy in the text, in the Bible, in the library of Scripture is this, time, which means this, that we don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to uh, uh, sort of take a pilgrimage somewhere. That God invites us to rethink our time and experience his delight and his wonder and communion with him wherever we are. Another thing that I want us to notice is that God rested. Yeah, God rested. That needs to That needs to shape the way we think about rest because, listen, if you think that God rested because he is tired, this is a God who doesn't weary. This is a God who doesn't tire. 
This is a God whose imagination is endless, whose power is endless, whose energy is boundless. There, we, 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 oh, we often, so often, will project ourselves onto God. But this God is like nothing you could ever imagine. That's why he had to write himself into the story. But more on that later. The point is this. He is boundless. He has no limits to his energy. He has no limits to his imagination. He has no limits to his ability to do, to make, to create, to bless, to call holy. There is nothing that can stop him. And he rests. Which means this that we need to rethink the way we think about rest. We think about rest as simply recharging the batteries. God doesn't need batteries recharged. He doesn't need to be plugged in like, oh, I'm tired. But this is what he's doing. He's delighting in his creation. He's standing back and saying, this is so good that I just want to enjoy it. I want to delight in it. I want to contemplate my own goodness, my own wonder, my own beauty in what I've made. And if there's anyone here who maybe works with their hands or, 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 or can, can end a work week with that beautiful Excel spreadsheet that can translate right into beautiful grass, all that, and you stand back and you're like, wow, I can delight in this. That is the rest that God experiences in creation. And he goes, uh, it goes on in the book of Exodus, the next book after Genesis. It says this. Now, I'm reading, I want to I say, I'm reading a commandment. I want you to hold on to that, okay? So whatever sort of baggage you bring to thinking about commandments, hold on to that. I, I want you to know I'm reading one of the Ten Commandments. Let me read it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but, to sev- but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or, your so- or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, the, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Excuse me. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want to back up for a moment. And I want us to put this in context of what's happening so far. So God creates all things good. And Adam and Eve are first parents. They fall. They decide to go their own way. They decide that they want to be their own gods. And they are kicked out of, they are ejected from Eden. They're kicked out of the garden. And later on, God calls this pagan called Abram, later known as Abraham. And he creates a nation out of Abraham. And for 400 years, they are subjected to the harsh, heavy hand of Pharaoh as slaves in Egypt. And out of that space, God calls them out. He rescues them with a mighty hand and then gives them a new way to be human. So often, we think about the Ten Commandments as these sort of burdens that we need to put on that will really... uh, um, uh, burden our humanity, that it, it, it's more of a heavy yoke on us, that it's more of a way to lessen our humanity when in fact what is happening in Exodus, what is happening as God gives the Ten Commandments, he is giving them a new way to unfurl the beauty and potential of what it means to be made in the image of God. 
The Ten Commandments, folks, are pure grace. Notice this also, that they weren't in Egypt baking bricks under the heat of the sun. And God said, hey, if you do these ten things, I may bless you, I may rescue you. No, no, no. None of that is happening. What happens is God rescues them and then gives them a new way to be human, an embodied practice, and they are pure grace. Because as they were slaves in Egypt, they were subject to different gods. They were subject to the gods of efficiency. They were subject to the gods of profit. They were subject to the gods of productivity. Many of which we can relate in this room this morning. That our 90,000 hours are so often under this weight of productivity, efficiency, profit. Productivity, efficiency, profit. And we don't stop. And we just don't stop. We can't stop. This isn't the only place where we find the Ten Commandments. We find it again in Deuteronomy 5. And I'm reading this again. Most of it is going to be verbatim, but I want you to notice some differences. Moses says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or even the sojourner, that's the immigrant, who is within your gates, that you make, that your male servant and your female servants may rest as you do as well. Now listen to this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, in Exodus, what's happening is he is grounding this invitation, this gift, this commandment to rest. Listen, I rem- when, when Catherine comes home from work, my wife, uh, we've been married 13 years. She works uh, with um, uh, children with autism. She's a teacher. She has very hard days. And just think about how she feels when she comes home and I say, put your feet up. You need to rest. She, she doesn't experience that as oppression. She experiences that as love, as an invitation to rest. And when we hear this, when we hear, I've commanded you to rest, we say, oh, no, no, no one commands me. Not, not even for good things. That's just the culture we live in. But I, I want to reframe this for us, that he's calling us, he's commanding us, he, he's loving us, and he's giving us rest. He's inviting us to say, listen, you're no longer a slave to productivity, profit, or efficiency. You are mine, and I give you rest, and I give you rest. So in Exodus, we find that, uh, in Genesis and Exodus, we find that he weaves rest into creation, and in Deuteronomy, he weaves rest into redemption. And as believers in Christ, we are at one point, if you follow Jesus, you realize that at one point, you were a slave to something much harsher than Egypt that we were all slaves to sin, and he has freed us by grace. And now he calls us into a new way of being. Christianity, what we are about, is not about a new way of thinking simply. We we often will keep, we usually live our lives out of our our minds, our heads. But I want to say, 
It's so much more than that. Christianity is an invitation to a new way of life, a new rhythm that goes with the grain of creation. And so even as New Testament believers, we want to embrace this ancient, creatively, we want to embrace this ancient practice of Sabbath because it embodies a picture of the gospel that we get to rest, not because the work is done, not because our work is done, but because his work is done. And we're invited to rest. But this is the problem, right? We go into uh, our cafes to get our coffees in the morning, and then we see this. That's very well-timed. We see this, right? Don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you are done. I just wanted some cucumber water. And I'm being indoctrinated with this hustle culture, this never stop, this grind. That you don't stop when you're tired. You push through, you stop when you're done. But let me tell you, the work is never done. The work is never done. We have lost this healthy rhythm of work and rest. What is actually wrong with us? What is wrong with our culture? Why are we so pathologically busy? Why can't we say no? Why can't we say no to that product launch? Why can't we say no to our bosses to work late that night? Why can't we say no to the work function? Why can't we say no? And so often we think, maybe it's just a problem with my diary. Maybe if I go to Kiki K and I just buy a new one and I get new inserts, I'll be straight. Maybe if I pay a subscription to this sort of new app that will help me organize my life and bring joy into my life, maybe that's the problem. And maybe part of that is the problem. Maybe part of that is the problem. But as John Ortberg says, being pathologically and chronically busy is not so much a matter of a disordered schedule, much more the matter of a disordered heart. Being pathologically busy, not being able to enter into deep and restorative rest is not so much an issue of a disordered schedule, but an issue of a disordered heart. We need to understand the relationship between our hearts and our schedules. And maybe you've never thought about that. How does my schedule display what's going on in my heart? And there are three things that normally happen. Three lies that we believe that lead us into chronic busyness and an inability to rest. Three things. Three things that our culture, our world tells us, and these things are ancient. These things are not new. They, they, they didn't come with the invention of the, you know, the, the, the press, the Gutenberg press. They didn't come with the, uh, with the advent of Facebook or social media. They didn't come with any of that. They, they didn't come in 2007 when we first held our first iPhone. These lies are ancient. And these are the same things that Jesus deals with in the wilderness. Number one is this, that I am what I do. And you believe that you need to justify yourself by what you do. And so at the end of the week, at the end of your day, as you lay your head on your pillow, you need to feel I've done something. I've justified my existence in this world. And so we overwork. We can't say no because I am what I do. I am what I accomplish. And at the end of the day, when I look up at my wall and I see those degrees, that's who I am. 
That's what I am. Also, we can't say no. We, we're chronically busy because I am what other people say about me. And so I need to be, not only work hard, but I at least need to be seen to be working hard. I can't say no to my boss because what would my peers think? What would my boss think? I am what others say I am. And so when we, there's this old line in this rap song by Lecrae, it says, if we live for their acceptance, we will die from their rejection. And we live for other people's acceptance, and so we can never say no. But also, I am what I have. So I am what I do, I am what others say about me, and I am what I have. And so we work our butts off to get that thing, whatever it is. Whether it's the, uh, the better car, the, the, the more square footage on your yard, moving into a better neighborhood, keeping up with the Johnsons, whatever it is. We work tirelessly. We can't say no because we believe the lie that says, I am what I have. I am what I drive. I am what I wear. And so we work. We work. We work. We work. We work. But as a friend of mine says, trusting in Jesus often means resting from our work so that we can work from our rest. And the question, what are we to do? With a a few minutes that I have left, what are we to do? Two things. One is understand and appropriate the gospel. Because you can do all the work on your schedule, but if there is this inner restlessness, this inner need to justify yourself in the world, the inner need to say, I am what I have, I am what people think about me, I am what I do, then you can do all the work. You can get every planner in the world. You can subscribe to every single organizing app. You can read all the great books on do more less and work better and work harder and work smarter and deep work and all these things, which may be good. But if you don't deal with the heart, if you don't see that there is a deep relationship between your schedule and your heart, your understanding and appropriating of the gospel of grace that says this, that you are not what you do. You're not going to, you're going to go out into this world this week and you're going to get all these messages bombarding upon you. You are what you do. You are what you do. You are what you do. You are what you produce. You are what you have. You are what you have. You are what you have. You are what people say about you. You are what people say about you. You are what people say about you. I'm telling you here this morning, that's a lie. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. You are not what people say about you. You are who God says you are. And let me remind you who God says you are. As Jesus comes out of the baptism waters in the Jordan River, he hears this voice booming out of heaven. And it says this, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That voice is yours now in Christ. That as Jesus came to take on flesh, as Jesus came to hang on a cross to pay our penalty, that voice now is yours. So when you wake up in the morning, you are not what you say or do, what other people say or do. You are a beloved son or daughter of the king, the one who created the world, the one who weaved rest into the fabric and redemption of the world, says good things about you thinks good things about you. 
We sometimes think that God is forced to say good things about me. Well, because, you know, Jesus died for me, so God kind of just have to put up with me now. I want you to just take a second, as hard as, as impossible as this is, to think about what God, what God's face may look like when he thinks about you. What, what, what's his facial expression? As, at, right now, as he's looking at you, he sees you. He sees you. What does he feel right now when he sees you? No doubt, many of us will think, ah, oh, a little bit disappointed. Kind of let down. He's putting up with me because, you know, the son died for me, so he kind of has to put up with me. Let me tell you, when he sees you now, his eyes fill up with joy and tenderness and love, and he sees you and he loves you and he likes you. And for the joy that was set before him, Jesus says he endured the cross. What was that joy? Was it a relationship with the Father? No, 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 no. He had that from eternity past. It was the people he was gaining. It was you. He loves you. He looks at you with tenderness and care. Who cares what my boss thinks? Who cares what my peers think? Who cares what I drive? Who cares what people say about me? Who cares what I own? The king of the universe who opens up his mouth and stars come out says and thinks and feels good things about you. That is where you find your identity. That is where you find your hope. That is where you find your anchor. That is where we go for the cure of our pathological busyness, for our inability to rest, because we can rest on the outside. And we've all felt that. We've all gone on vacations and have come back utterly exhausted or just pining for the next one, just living for the next one, just living for the next weekend, living for the next trip overseas. There's another way. There's another way to live in this world. There's another way to operate in this world. There's another way to bless this world. And it's not going to happen as we frenetically copy the culture. It's not, you know, we, we, we invite people. You know, if, if you go to work and you invite people into this life with Jesus, they say, come, come, I, I want you to meet my friend. I want you to meet Jesus. And we're just frantic and frenetic and just like them, and have no poise, and have no balance in our life, and, and are frantically trying to prove ourselves at work by putting other people down so we can be raised up. The other day I was driving, and in front of me there was this car with um, sort of green peace, and a very, I, I was happy to see a very environmentally friendly person driving a humongous 4x4 and smoking cigarettes. Um, and I thought, I, I didn't judge the guy. I did judge the guy. I didn't judge the guy. And, but I was thinking, man, like, that's what I look like. When, when I tell people, let me invite you in this, into this beautiful life, into this new kingdom where profit, efficiency, and productivity are not God. Jesus is God. He's on the throne. He thinks good things about you. He wants you to enter into deep soul and physical rest. And I'm just going crazy over here. 
He invites us to a new way. And the first step is to understand and appropriate the gospel of grace for us, that God thinks good things of you. And out of that, we get to enter into rest. Out of that, we get to establish healthy Sabbath practices. Let me tell you what it looks like in our home. And this is something that we have struggled through. We don't say we try to keep Sabbath. We don't try to do anything. But we train and we fail. And we train and we fail. And so some of the things that we've been training ourselves to do at home is this. Simply decide on any 24-hour block that you can. And this is going to change for shift workers, for moms and dads with young kids. I get that. I want us to think creatively about blocking out a 24-hour period. For us, that means at Friday, fr- Fridays at 4.30, we shut down. We're, we're, learning, we're, we're learning to shut down. We're learning to turn off our phones. You can't reach me between Friday 4.30 and Saturday 4.30. Pick a time, put it in your diary, put it in your calendar as you would anything else. A doctor's appointment, a meeting, a party. Block out that time. Fix your heart knowing that this is not about gaining the approval of Jesus, but living out of that approval. It's living out of that voice that says, you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Commit also to leave your work, not only physically, Train yourself to leave your work emotionally, mentally, and maybe this is, this is, this is wild. I'm going to ask you, to do, this is wild. Maybe just quit socials for a day. Maybe uninstall your email app on your phone for a day. Maybe shut down all tech if that doesn't bring you delight Think, this is the point, to think creatively and freely about how you will engage in this formative practice. Because as this forms us, we're sent out at, as those people. So I'm going to give you a couple questions to ask yourself to help you shape this practice for you. One is this, what brings me deep restorative joy? What, think about it, what brings me wonder? Do, do you remember what wonder feels like? under the tyranny of deadlines and busyness and timetables, do you remember what wonder feels like? What sparks wonder in creation for you? How can you creatively invest in relationships so that you can see them flourish? Ask yourself this, what is God asking me to give up for the next 24 hours? How will I slow down to dwell and meditate on how beautiful Jesus is. Some of you may say, I can't, I can't meditate, I get distracted. If you've ever worried about anything, you're meditating. That's what worry is. Worry is meditating on the negative. And so meditate on the beauty and wonder of Jesus. Sing songs, light candles, listen to music, get a massage. I've never done that, it's not my thing, but if it brings you joy, do it. Play nap, sing, even if you can't sing like me, close the windows, don't like mess up other people's Sabbath, just, you know, (laughs) make love if you're married, I gotta say that, feast on good food, bake fresh cookies, 
bake bread if that brings you, like the, this is the point, the possibilities are endless to delight in the world God's created us. And so I want us to enter into intentionally what that looks like for you. And so for us, what we do as we begin our Sabbath, we, we light a candle, we read some scripture together, we're going to learn how to sing together, we can't hold harmonies, someone's got to train us, but we just want to delight in what God's given us. Like, like what, what God, right, what God and master who can demand anything of you because he's given everything to you, demands you to rest? The God of productivity, efficiency, profit are not going to invite you into deep rest, but this God will. So I want to invite you into that. And one of the things we've been doing every single week is we commission people. So often when we think about commissioning here in this space and in, in sort of a, in the church space, we think we, we commission pastors or GC leaders or missionaries to go, um, you know, across uh, uh, borders to go into a, a, another nation. We, and we do that. We love that. But we're all missionaries here. And so each week we have been looking at different uh, type of uh, uh, industries and commissioning you. So I'm going to ask you to stand up if you work in these industries. I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I want to just offer you a blessing. I'm not, I'm not going to put you on blast or anything like that. I want to bless you. So if you work in politics or any kind of government agencies, I'm going to ask you to stand. We had a couple in, in the last service. Manufacturing. Is anyone in manufacturing? Do we do that anymore? We just import our steel now. Engineers. Any engineers or architects in the room? No engineers or architects. Far out. Transport, I'm going to say journalism. If you work in journalism, I'd love for you to stand and we'd love to bless you. And so I want you guys, I'm speaking to those who are standing and to everyone else, I invite you to listen. But you guys need to know that you are sent. That you don't do what you do simply to make a paycheck, simply to make ends meet. You do what you do, and you are sent out into your industry to mediate the presence of God. That as you write your articles, as you build, as you think about what it looks like to build infrastructure in this beautiful city that God loves deeply, you are sent as missionaries into that space, as engineers and architects and journalists and people who, who are in spaces that... Uh, uh, influence policies. You're sent. You're loved. You have everything you need to appropriate the gospel and to live under a new king. So let me pray for these guys. If you know them, you can place your hand on them uh, if, if you're comfortable to do so, but I'd love us to stretch out our hands to them. Uh, we can come around them, and I, I want to offer a prayer of blessing to them as the band comes up, um, and then I'm going to invite you guys to stand and sing. So let's pray for these men and women here. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have called each and every one of these uh, men and women here to represent you in those fields, to represent you in politics and journalism, and to represent you uh, as they pursue careers in engineering and architecture and planning and building and manufacturing. Help them to know that you have sent them into that place. Help them to know that we as a family are behind them. We love them. We support them. And that they go with everything they need to mediate your presence in that space. 
We love you, Jesus, and I pray that every single person standing will walk out knowing that they are sent by you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I send you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite everyone else now to respond in different ways. Later on, after the songs, our prayer team will be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you heard something here today you've never heard before and you feel God is calling you to begin a relationship with him. We'd love to walk with you through that. We'll also be having some stands here, so some, some uh, communion stands where we get to embody the gospel in such a way that this isn't just all in our minds. We actually get to take bread that represents Jesus' broken body. We get to dip that into the juice that represents Jesus' blood that was spilled on the cross so that he can be our justification. Not what we do, not what people say about us, not what we own but he is our justification. So I invite you guys to engage in that and I ask you to stand and sing with us. Bless you.